Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. Today we are going to again be in Luke chapter 11, verse 52, very key verse. I'm titling this episode 246, Highly Toxic Religious Education, and this is an important broadcast for parents. So I'm going to first define what I mean by highly toxic. It's used in a sense that a chemical that produces a lethal dose, something like mercury. You get too much and you have death from exposure to it. And you know, Catholic parents have been scratching their heads trying to figure out what went wrong in the faith development and the faith life of their children. And there are obviously many causes for this. I'm writing a book to try to reverse a lot of that and offer suggestions to Catholic parents. But today's broadcast features a main cause of young people losing their faith. And this main cause is one that's frequently unrecognized. Let's get to our verse for today, Luke 11, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you have hindered those who were entering. And again, these lawyers were not civil attorneys, guys that go to the courthouse. These were scribes of the law. These were experts in the scriptures. These were the ones responsible for teaching the scriptures. And yet the scripture scholars in Jesus's day had so misused and misunderstood the scriptures that they caused a blockage in the people's relationship with God. Their purpose was to strengthen a relationship with God using the scriptures, but they blocked both themselves and their hearers, and Jesus's response to them is, woe to such religious leaders. Now, how blind were they? Well, the key to knowledge in many instances, or in a major sense, is Jesus himself. And if Jesus is the key to the scriptures, as we read in Luke 24, going down the Emmaus Road, Jesus explained all the scriptures in light of himself. And here was the key in in the flesh, standing before them, and they didn't see it. And they were blind to the truth that they were responsible for teaching, and they were hindering others from doing the same. You know, St. Jerome said, and this is recorded for us if you want to look it up in the Catechism, paragraph 133, St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture equals ignorance of Christ. And so, their ignorance of Scripture. These were the experts in Scripture, and yet they're mishandling it to such a degree that they were ignorant of Christ. Now, here's a question for parents, and it's not an abstract question. It could mean life or spiritual death to your children. Could such a thing happen in today's world? You know, you read about 
these various religious situations in the first century that Jesus encountered and think, oh, well, that's just history. Is it? You know, there's a lot of decay in religious circles today, and I'm thinking particularly of mainline Protestant denominations. Uh, My grandfather was a minister in a mainline Protestant denomination. I was raised in mainline Protestant denominations, and yet some of those same denominations are those proclaiming the rainbow flag, and you know what I'm talking about today, the ones that are saying abortion is is okay, and a number of other things. There's just been a total moral collapse. Well, how did, how did the mainline Protestants get here? And don't say, well, this isn't just a history of mainline Protestants, because there's a real lesson for Catholics here today. Well, what happened is that in the 19th century, you had Darwin's theory of evolution. And that didn't that theory didn't just stay in the science classroom. It invaded all other types of disciplines, including theology and interpretation of scripture. And the Germans took Darwin's theory of evolution and applied it to biblical studies. And then in the early 20th century, maybe the very late 19th century, but particularly early 20th century, it jumped the Atlantic and came to America. And I'm most familiar with what happened at Princeton Seminary, a leading evangelical seminary at the time, was invaded by modernism, and thus the denomination that I grew up in, the mainline denomination Presbyterian, was invaded by German modernistic Darwinian theory of evolution applied to the scriptures, and it had a horrible result. My seminary that I went to as a Protestant, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, was established by Mr. Pugh, who was a multimillionaire from the oil in Pennsylvania, Billy Graham, and Harold Ockengay. It was designed to help reverse the terrible situation going on in the mainline seminaries. And here is the irony of all ironies, is that the evangelicals have preserved the Catholic beliefs on the inerrancy of Scripture, while many Catholics today have digested the liberal Catholic Protestant views of Scripture, hook, line, and sinker. How do I know this? Well, one of the things that evangelicals were accused of by the mainline Protestant liberals who had bitten into the German higher criticism, well, you're just making this stuff up. This isn't a historical view of Scripture. And guess what professors at Gordon-Conwell and other evangelical leaders standing for the inerrancy of Scripture said, no, we didn't make this up. We can prove to you this is the historical view of Scripture, because here's what Pope Leo XIII wrote. Here's what Pope Pius X wrote. Here's what Pope Benedict XV wrote, and Pope Pius XI and Pope Pius XII a whole string of papal teaching because the Pope saw what was coming and they wrote strongly against it. But somewhere, um, I don't know exactly when, but things, everything went chaotic, it seems, in the 60s. So I'm not exactly sure of the exact date, but I will just blame it on the 60s. Catholics started digesting the liberal Protestant view of Scripture. 
It's such an irony. And you need to be aware that your son or your daughter could be given highly toxic religious education that the people, maybe very insincere teaching them, are not aware that they're basically teaching German higher criticism that absolutely ruined uh, the ch- Protestant churches in Germany as well as the Protestant churches in the United States. I have three simple questions that you can ask before your kids go to a Catholic high school, Catholic college, any religious instructor. Three simple questions. Number one, who wrote the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Well, you say, well, that's easy, Moses. I know. Just ask them that. Don't assume it. It can be a fatal mistake to assume that's believed today. Number two, who wrote the four Gospels? You say, well, that's easy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, don't assume that Catholic biblical instructors believe that today, or Protestant ones for that fact. And then number three, who wrote all 13 of the Pauline epistles? Well, that's redundant. Paul obviously wrote the Pauline epistles. Well, a lot of people today think he only wrote seven or eight of them, and that that infection has come into the Catholic Church. Let's go back to our first question. Who wrote the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible? Well, that is frequently denied today in Catholic seminaries, as well as Protestant seminaries. This is what's going on in the modern world, where Darwin's theory of evolution is now applied to biblical studies, and instead of Moses as the author, and he be the divine author and given revelation by God, this is authoritative divine revelation. Rather, it's kind of a compilation of different documents put together called JEDP, and these were the, supposed to be the different editors or the different documents that made up what we know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and such. Now, if you want to know if a young priest has been into this today, this is not an infallible guide, but if he starts saying sacred author all the time to refer to Moses, Instead of saying Moses, he's probably been taught J-E-D-P. I have been in a Catholic college in North Carolina that's listed in the top 20 colleges of uh, Newman's Guide to Orthodox Catholic Colleges and all of that. I went into the scripture class and sat there, listened to the professor say how Moses didn't really write the Pentateuch, that it was the J-E-D-P And when he got done, he realized that this was kind of a um, bold theory. He asked if any students had any questions or objections to it, and not a single one was raised. It would have been much better if those young people were not in that class. That's toxic biblical studies. Why do I need to know that? Well, all of this JEDP stuff that uh, claims that other people other than Moses wrote the Pentateuch came from a German scholar by the name of Dr. Julius Wellhausen. And on April 5th, 1882, he wrote a letter, a letter of resignation that every Catholic parent needs to listen to very carefully. This is his 
personal letter of resignation and acknowledging that he had destroyed the faith of his seminary students in Germany. Here's what he said, quote, I became a theologian because the scientific treatment of the Bible interested me. What's the scientific treatment of the Bible? Darwin's theory of evolution, of course. Only gradually did I come to understand that a professor of theology also has the practical task of preparing the students for service in the Protestant church, and that I am not adequate to this practical task, but that instead, despite all my caution, I make my hearers unfit for their office. That's the Protestant pastorate. Since then, my theological professorship has been weighing heavily upon my conscience. Now, I at least admire Dr. Wellhausen for recognizing that he had made a terrible mistake, because when he was all excited about his new JEDP theory and bringing in the theory that Moses didn't write this and that we had been wrong for almost 2,000 years about the origin of the scriptures— his seminary students, his Lutheran seminary students, lost their faith. Now, Dr. Wellhausen recognized and admitted his mistake, but during the century following this, Protestants didn't learn, and this spread through Protestant seminaries. That's why evangelical seminaries came and tried to push a lot of this junk out, and now— I don't know the exact date, but I guarantee you now this stuff is in about 95% of Catholic seminaries and the majority of Catholic colleges. This is what Catholic young people are being taught. It's the very theory when the originator of this theory first launched it, he destroyed the faith of his students and he admitted it, he acknowledged it, he resigned and said, this is weighing heavily on my conscience and merrily we go along continuing to teach this. Now, I'm just gonna give you two quickies here, you know, why this thing just isn't true. The JEDP stands for the different names of God used, for instance, in Genesis, Jehovah for J or E for Elohim. In Genesis 1, the name Elohim, the Hebrew name, is used for God as creator. Then in Genesis 2, just about after verse 4, the name of God switches to Yahweh. And they say, well, this is because it's a second editor. It's Genesis 1 is one editor, Genesis 2 is another, and that's just pure ignorance regarding what is going on in Genesis, and this is not taught to seminarians today. Mainline Protestant and Catholic, the vast majority, the reason you switch from Elohim to Yahweh in Genesis 2 is that a covenant, a covenant of creation God is making with mankind, and a covenant is when two become one in an incredibly profound, tight bond, and that two, God and his people, the two become one through the covenant, the first covenant, and that's why the covenant name of God is used. And what a surprise. At the end of chapter two of Genesis, where the name Yahweh is first used, you'll also have the marriage covenant, where two, the husband and wife, become one, reflecting the divine covenant. That's what's going on there. The other big argument uh, used for the JEDP theory is 
Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's absolute proof that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. Why? Deuteronomy 34 talks about Moses' death and burial. Now, it's kind of hard to <laughs> write your obituary after you've died and you know describe your burial. So obviously, Moses couldn't write that. That's true. Deuteronomy 34 is like a postscript. Now, I've written a couple of uh, books on the ABCs of choosing a good husband and the ABCs of choosing a good wife. My daughter, Stephanie, helped proofread those and such. Now, let's imagine that I would die today and the books, you know, went out of print and she would be responsible for bringing them back in print. And maybe there's some statistics in the book that could be more contemporary. Like I have a statistic from the year 2000 regarding marriage preparation or marriage stability, and she would find something maybe from 2019 instead and update the book. And then the very end of the book, and that's what Deuteronomy 34 is, there's a little section in my book called About the Author. And you would say Steve was born in 1948 and he died in this year. Does that mean I'm no longer the author uh, of my ABC books? No. There are no paragraph or verse numbers or chapter numbers applied to the Hebrew manuscripts It was just a postscript added, and it has nothing to do with authorship. And by the way, somebody who has a lot of authority on this, his name is Jesus Christ, and he believed that Moses wrote Genesis. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses— and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus said, the law of Moses, not the law of the sacred author, not the law of J-E-D-P. And then Jesus solemnly said in John 5, verses 46 and 47, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And if you want to know what's going wrong with the faith development of so many Catholic youth, you want to know why you could have such widespread acceptance of clerical sodomy in the Catholic Church? Well, if the seminarians were taught that Moses wrote Genesis, that it was a divine account of a real historical event, this was sacred divine revelation, do you think you would just people be blowing off Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you think that uh, uh, homosexual activity is truly gay? And for young people, you don't believe Moses? You're not going to believe me. That's what Jesus said. Then you have the second question. Who wrote the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, I happened when I was in seminary, the uh, chairman of our New Testament department, who was um, urged to leave because of his uh, modernistic beliefs, had us read a textbook by the premier Catholic biblical interpreter, Father Raymond Brown past president of the Catholic Biblical Association. And he, our professor had us read Dr. Brown's book on about the community of the beloved disciple. 
What a nice, warm, pious-sounding thing, the community of the pious disciple. Now, we had worked our tails off to learn Greek, New Testament Greek, and we got into this upper division class, and we were supposed to bring a Greek New Testament, and we were supposed to be taught right out of the Greek New Testament. And we were being told, thanks to Father Brown's theory, that what we were looking at in the Greek New Testament wasn't what John wrote. What? It was actually something that was written actually a bit later, maybe the second century, and a community of the beloved disciples um, kind of uh, massaged John's actual writing and had certain additions and subtractions to it, and it was our job to figure out what John actually wrote 20 centuries later. You know, this is the text of the premier Catholic Bible interpreter of the 20th century, Dr. Brown, and he's used widely in Catholic circles, wrote a book entitled The Birth of the Messiah, in which he questions or expressed doubts about the historicity of the infancy narratives, particularly those early chapters of Matthew and Luke. He said the Magnificat of Mary is, quote, obviously unlikely that such finished poetry could have been composed on the spot by ordinary people. And today there would be no serious scholarly support for such a naive hypothesis, unquote. That's what college students and seminarians are studying today about the infancy narratives in the gospel. Uh, he went on to question all kinds of things um, that your hair would probably fall out if I listed them all, and yet this is modernistic, German, liberal, biblical criticism that came to America, invaded mainline Protestant denominations, and now has infected the majority of Catholic seminaries and colleges. And as a parent, you need to be aware who wrote the first five books of the Bible, number two, who wrote the four Gospels, and I don't know if you're aware, but they basically say really how we got the Gospels today was due to a mysterious document called Q, or Quelle, the German name for the letter Q, and this letter Q, this mysterious document that no one has ever seen, touched, smelled, observed, or even read one word or one letter of, it does not exist, and yet there's tons of PhD theses by scripture scholars who have lost the key of knowledge, who is saying the Q, along with the Gospel of Mark, was the original source of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this was cooked up by Protestants who didn't like the idea of having a pope, and for centuries, the church recognized that Matthew was first, and then later Mark was written. Now, Mark doesn't have anything about the Pope. Guess why? Mark was writing from Peter's preaching. And believe it or not, the apostles were actually humble. They wouldn't write that about themselves. That's why it's not in Mark, but it was in Matthew. But they're saying Matthew, just like Raymond Brown was doing for John, was written much later and that Matthew 16 was an addition. It wasn't original. And so all this six, Matthew 16 about the Pope receiving the keys to the kingdom and the church is baloney. 
Do you see what happens? And this theory, Q theory, which was cooked up to deny the authority of the Pope is now standard fare in Catholic colleges and seminaries. Oh, I can't even get into the 13 Pauline epistles, but we'll get to that. Um, We will get to that. Let me tell you what Pope Benedict warned, and obviously a wonderful scripture scholar. He said this, quote, the fact is that scriptural exegesis, that's scriptural interpretation, can become a tool of the Antichrist. Did you just hear my voice? Can become a tool of the Antichrist. The alleged finding of scholarly exegesis has put together the most dreadful books. And you can find that quote in Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth. I believe that was the first of those two volumes. So what's all this for parents? You want to be extra careful who you select to teach your children scripture. It is a main cause for loss of faith. It's been historically proven, even by the founders of some of these things, that it causes a loss of faith. It's been uncritically accepted from liberal Protestantism that have lost their way in morals and scripture understanding. They have lost the key to knowledge in the modern world. And so you can simply ask those three questions, and even better, let's say if you're a Catholic homeschool parent, let's do a paper on each of those three questions before they go off to college, because we were told when we visited the Scripture classroom of this Catholic college, which was teaching that Moses didn't write Genesis, that it was one of their great new professors. And this would be the class of all classes we want to sit in on. So we did. And my, 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 this was something that we should be aware of and not fall into. So what do you do that you want to kind of clear the air and get rid of this toxic stuff that's going on in biblical studies, both in Protestant and Catholic circles? Well, I have recommended several times, and I'll do it again today, the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible is a good source. It's a reliable source and free of most of this junk. Um, Scott Hahn's St. Paul Center for Scripture Studies related to that is very good. And if you want to go on a little bit and get a little bit more serious about Scripture Studies, this is where it starts getting very dangerous. Uh, Baker Publishers is putting out a Catholic commentary on sacred scripture and are coming out with various books of the Bible. And so far, the ones I've read are absolutely excellent. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 246 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.